Mr. Anderson thinks that everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. Isn't that right, Todd? And that's your worst fear. Well, I think you're wrong. I think you have something inside of you that is worth a great deal. Now, for those of you who don't know, a yelp is a loud cry or yell. Now, Todd, I would like you to give us a demonstration of a barbaric yelp. <laughs> come on, you can't yelp sitting down. Let's go. Come on, up. Gotta get in yelping stance. <laughs> Uh, a yawp. No, not just a yawp. A barbaric yawp. Yawp. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on, louder. Yawp. Oh, good God, boy, yell like that. There it is. You see? You have a barbarian in you after all. Now, you don't get away that easy. Picture Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy madman. Oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go on, uh, go on. Uh, a sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. There. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes. Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman. With a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful, wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, and my favorite podcast, and everybody's favorite podcast, At the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but he mentioned needing to go let out a barbaric yawp, which, if I'm real honest, sounds kind of painful. Uh, In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into what saves us a sec this second of a pair of overarching series this year this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder that invigorate your awe that enrich your humanity not to overstate it but that are saving you now last week we hung out with some sweatier than average italians in pixar's luca 
featuring our favorite Canadian Vera Gowdy. This week, we will learn to savor words and literature with Helton's favorite son, John Keating. But I am getting ahead of myself a bit because here at the fear of God, we explore. We do not explain. Except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you will find Reed. Hey, brother. Hey. And from now on, call me Nuanda. I will call you that. Please don't. Nuanda. I'm just, I'm just, I will. Nope. I just, I'm nope. just referencing. No, no, no. I, you said it Like now. Massimo, <laughs> I will call you your name. Call Nuanda. Me. Yes. You are now. For the purpose of this conversation. Okay. All, right. all right. Read. Fine. Hey, man. That was a good that was a good time we had with Oluka oh, last week, huh? Man, that was fun. I should point out to you, I know it was just a semantic quibble, but Vera is not necessarily our favorite Canadian. She is a favorite Canadian. We have a lot of Canadian listeners and we all we love them all. Okay. Like Vera is a favorite Canadian. And she's definitely our favorite Canadian named Vera Gowdy. But we, Indeed. Have, a, we have a lot of Canadian yep. listeners and we love you all. So yes, there is there is that piece of it. But yes, that was a really, really fun Ryan time. Ryan Reynolds. He's a favorite Canadian. Yeah, but he's not He's not a friend of the show yet. You know, we, we're working well, on no, it. Well, no, but you, yeah, ju- but, you yeah. just said a you, favorite. You I, know. I did not distinguish. I'm just naming favorite Canadians. You are, cor- you are correct. Evangelion I, Lily? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Evangelion Lily, is that what you just said? Or Evangelion? No. no, Evangeline Lily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yep. uh, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is another favorite Canadian. Did not know that. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's a Canadian. Catherine O'Hara. Oh, I get it. Oh, love that lady. Love her. She's In fact, so great. my computer right now is propped up on a Moira Rose oh, uh, uh, Shit's Creek, The Crows Have Eyes, oh. uh, Funko Pop. That is literally how I've elevated my laptop right now. That is Look, amazing. Look, can always bring it back to Shit's Creek. Oh, man. That is so beautiful and amazing. Oh, and... uh um, Canadians. Hmm. Who's the other... Uh, oh, the, oh, gosh. What are they? Megan Follows. John Candy. Oh, Who? yeah, yeah. Is it? Or Megan Follows. Yeah. Yeah. Megan, yeah. Lots of Canadians. Lots of love for Canada. That's basically what mm. this whole episode is going to be. It's just a bunch of love for Canada. Yeah. Slings and arrows. That's a hell of a show. <laughs> Did you ever watch that show? No, I didn't. Oh, really? Should I? Oh, oh wow. That, the look on oh, your face. Like, I really I did, need to watch it that. It never clicked with me that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, it, yeah. I don't totally know how you would find it right now because I don't know that they ever made it for streaming. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but uh, about 10 years ago, I owned the DVD of it, which I, for some reason, don't anymore. Oh my gosh! You oh, okay. love slings and arrows. Slings, really? A, do, you, do you have any clue what I'm talking no, about? No, I mean I just I have no. Slings and arrows is a show featuring the only person you would probably recognize, though, at this point. No, actually, Rachel McAdams uh, shows up in the first season. Uh, is his name Bruno Kirby? No, there's an actor. Did I've, you watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? So uh, not yet, but I did just pull up slings and arrows, and I have seen the cover art. So I... Is Bruno at, Kirby his name? Am I making that up? Is there um, someone in the... I'm looking at the cast list right now. Young fella, uh, season one-ish, well, I it's, think. Well, uh, the name that I see is Paul Gross, and then, like, yeah, no, Rachel sorry. McAdams. Yeah, Paul is Gross is the star, but... Uh, Sarah Pauly. I forgot Sarah Pauly was in it. Anyway, <laughs> Slings and Arrows is about a Canadian Shakespeare theater company and read. Oh, my God. Especially in the spirit of the the film we're covering today. Uh, you would you'd love it. I love it so much. It's been awesome. years since I've watched it, but it's relatively short. I mean, I think it's three seasons of maybe ten episodes each. Okay, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. But in the spirit of its its sort of Shakespearean energy, Paul Gross, whom you just named, he comes back to be the artistic director of a theater 
one of the kids in the hall features in it. I can't remember mm, mm. the gentleman's name, but he comes back to be the artistic director of the theater. Well, his former mentor, also the former artistic director before him, dies. And so Paul Gross shows mm. up. Well, the premise of the show is he be- and it's, you know, it's playing with this sort of the mad mad king idea of Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, Paul Gross's character is accompanied throughout the series by the, by the spirit slash ghost of his former mentor, the former artistic director. And each season is a particular Shakespeare show. So season one is R and J. Oh, okay. Season two is likely Hamlet or Macbeth. I can't recall. And three is Lear. Oh, okay. Uh, and wow. so, you know, it, it's it's beautiful. I did not mean to walk into that. But no, all, that's great. Of all, the, of all the good things Canada has given us, that is but one more that you should but partake But one of. more. Absolutely. Yeah. So as far as it's streaming, like it's not available uh, for you. any like subscription. Serv- well, actually, that's that's the only way to get it is like through particular subscription services or you can buy it to stream on like Amazon. So, uh, so yeah, I'll have to find a way to check that out. Maybe my local library will have some copies of the DVD. Um, mm, I want to watch that with you. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. We'll have to figure that out somehow. Um, so, uh, before we dive into, you know, conduct this, uh, late night rendezvous in a cave, we want to do a little bit of business. I know, right? Just a small Let's bit of business. Some business. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a one-two punch on some business. So first of all, maybe a bit of bad news and then a bit of great news. So um, the small bit of bad news, not maybe not bad news, but if you missed your opportunity last week, through the last week, to submit to us a What Saves Us submission, the submissions for this particular season are officially closed. If you want to reach out to us in any number of other ways, you can always you know, go to thefearofgodpodcast.com, click on the banner on the top, and share with us any story that you wish to share. Um, but the uh, schedule is officially booked for uh, this installment through the end of the year of our What Saves Us submission. So thank you in advance to everybody who has submitted. We have got some oh, it's been wonderful. amazing yeah. films lined up. I, I'm, I'm really blown away uh, by the variety and the caliber of entries that we have coming up. Some really, really fun, cool stuff on the horizon. And um, so that's the bit of bad news is that that is closed. But the good news is that one of the submissions we got, and both you and I speculated about this submission, and then one of our listeners and friends submitted it without us prompting. Unprompted by us. Yes, we did not influence this. They submitted it on their own. Uh, One of our friends, and I'll go ahead and and give a shout out. He'll be uh, shouted out on probably every installment. Our friend Jeff Hansen, uh, who has been referenced on the show and is a friend of the show, uh, a, ge- a former guest on uh, one of our Quarterly King episodes, um, has actually submitted to us for us to... He submitted a few things, but he submitted for us to cover none other than Ted Lasso. And we leapt what? at the opportunity to cover Ted Lasso. So uh, we are mentioning to you now. Hopefully we'll mention we'll remember to mention it again at the top of what the episode. What a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> It's starting next week. We are going to be making our way through Ted Lasso. It is an Apple TV Plus exclusive, so you have to have that subscription service. It's not available anywhere else, but sign up for a free trial or something, binge the whole thing. Um, and so we're going to be starting in in season one and make our way all through the uh, uh, availability of the show. Uh, and I'm really, really excited. So that's, that's so be much great. fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, I kind of can't believe it. Yep. So that's the business I got. All right. Well, well, in the spirit of that read. Well, let's wait, go. What? Wait, 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 what? wait, wait, wait. Okay, so 
I'm going to shout out something. Normally, it's like you just lay in wait for me to start transitioning. You're like, no, 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 no. Nope. wait, 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 wait. I'm not done, Nathan. Okay, okay so finish. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Uh oh. I'm going to throw you a curveball. No, we're about to go to the segment that we're about to go. But normally, uh, we have just recently uh, sort of canonized uh, our wonderful friends, the Island Family, their rendition of our What You Watching theme. That is kind of official canon. Like that's 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 our theme. Uh, so thank you again, Island Family, for that. Uh, but every once in a rare in, in a rare moon, we get a new sort of submission. Uh, for what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. And uh, we received one from uh, a fellow podcaster who's been referenced on the show before, and you've heard his voice before in one of our little clip shows. Uh, John Vinalas has sent us a delightful little uh, particular rendition that he titled, uh, not too subtly, This is the Watcha. What you're watching and what you're reading and what you're listening to. What you're watching and what you're reading and what you're listening. What you're watching, reading. And what are you listening to? That's amazing. So, I don't even know that I knew that that existed. It's, it's I don't know. Awesome. I mean, now that it just, it's so it's fun. It's, it's on-air yeah, revelation. No, it's, it's so great. And I'll have the joy of finally listening to the episode <laughs> to hear the actual rendition. So, hey, <laughs> the magic the of magic Hollywood. Of Hollywood. Uh, so, yeah, Nathan, what have, you, uh, what have you been watching, reading, listening to? Well, Reed, I I will deliver a momentary and spoiler-free uh, response to the fact that just the other day, I got to go see an advanced <gasps> screening oh of the new MCU film Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten oh, Rings. How did you like it? So if uh, if you want to know literally nothing, uh, I would skip the next mm. minute or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't care, um, then stick around. <laughs> um I did like it. Um, I want to watch okay. it again. So, you know, movies require, they just, they <laughs> ask something of you and that's okay. They should. Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's not the green okay. Knight. It's not okay. that level of ask, but I'm tempted to just like ask you the question. What's the worst scenario you ever decided to watch a movie and how did oh, it affect your experience wow. of that movie? Uh, but me, and that's, that's strong. But what I mean by that is, so these screenings happen, peak COVID, and clearly, uh, I suppose we are still in the midst of peak COVID, but um, a lot of these would come via links. Sure. You could watch yeah. them at home. Yeah. So I would watch some of these screeners at home. Um, did that with, no, we went to Black Widow. Uh, there's one or two others. I can't recall what I linked to at home, but. With the MCU stuff, I was like, no, I want to go see it in the theater. So I had planned to take my kids to the screener. They, my kids weren't able to end up going with me. And I didn't learn until like the night before that it was a 4.30 p.m. Oh, screening. Mm. Which, which you know, just for a responsible <laughs> dad and spouse and adult is just, is, 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 that's, it's not right, the best right, look, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. to steal away mm-hmm. at 4.30. But I got full approval. 
from home. I, I ran an, an exorbitant amount of uh, <laughs> errands for the home that day to sort of like <laughs> yeah. make some deposits, knowing I was going to take yeah. them right back out by going I to the movies it, at yeah. 430. Um, so I had a lot of that riding on hmm, the brain. Okay. Uh, uh, and then the actual screen I watched it on the is is a little older theater and so the like literally the screen is a little washed oh, out in terms of the, interesting the okay. visual so there's that so there's so there's the psychological and then there's the uh technical, okay okay right? yeah yeah so i'm going to comment on the film knowing that it was in the midst of those tensions that were at work in my yeah, brain okay um i'll lead with the i'm not sure about and then i'll go to the i'll leave on a positive note um this is why I want to rewatch it is because unsurprisingly for the nature of the film, the last quarter is extreme CGI heavy. Mm. And I think due to maybe the time of day, maybe the technical limitations of the screen I was watching it on, there were times I was like, I don't, I don't know what Uh I'm seeing. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just a little confused by the literal action on screen. And, this is not a spoiler for it, but this film goes places with some of its uh, elements mm. that are pretty unexpected. Oh. I was like, oh, I did okay. not know we're getting into this sort of visual tapestry by the end of mm-hmm. it. And so you're like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so so that's, that's kind of a neutral. Uh, I kind of need to reabsorb it in a better sort of technological setting to kind of ass- fully assess, okay, did that work for me or not so it's hard to say now the things that do work for me and and work really well the casting is great mm, okay um i don't have his name in front of me is is it simu uh, it's, it, oh simu yes that uh Sim, simu, simu maybe because he was on yes kim's yeah that he right? plays jung in um, uh, kim's convenience and i apologize i do not know how to yeah i would i would imagine no it's, simu. it's okay yeah. and uh, uh I feel like a jerk. I did not look up the exact pronunciation beforehand because I didn't read like uh, uh, like the curveball, uh, <laughs> you know, of this new audio track. Uh, so too, I didn't know we were doing this. Um, so I did not look up the correct present pronunciation, and I sound like an ignorant fool for for attempting it there. But he's great. Okay. Yeah. Um, well cast. You know, if there's anything Marvel does pretty much exceptionally, it's casting. I agree. Uh, so he's great. I liked Aquafina. I actually did not love her presence in Raya. I don't love Raya that f- the film that much. Okay. And so uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about her in this movie, but she's great. The two of them are great. And, you know, by the time this episode airs, it's possible it'll sync up roughly when the film will be releasing. So, you know, I won't spoil exactly what I'm referencing here, but there is a, there other than what's in the trailers, there is an MCU character that I never thought would get on screen again. Wow. That is not just a cameo, but is a legitimate supporting player in the story. And, and to literally when this character shows up on screen, I, I think aloud under my mask, I just said, wow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it was, there was that I, I had not read much, so I didn't really know anything. This is out there in headlines. So be careful, mm. you know, if you want to avoid that information, but uh, so that was a fun thing. Uh, there are a couple other fun MCU broader winks. Um, so overall, I'm I'm right now at a B on okay. on 
the film as a whole, uh, knowing that I think I probably should watch it again relatively soon to get a, a better assessment based on some of the extenuating circumstances of my viewing of okay. it. So, That's fair. so yes, I did get to see it. Um, it is, it is, uh, I would not, I would call it mid tier MCU right now okay. with the possibility to move up or down a little bit, depending on, longevity that makes sense no that's cool yeah i'm excited to see it i'm really excited for this new phase because i have so many like yeah. it's like this wide open you canvas s- you know do you see there's a brand new eternals trailer today yeah we watched yeah that? we watched it that was yeah awesome. it looks fantastic and it's really got me cool. amped up to for that film to come out as well i'm really really excited um so uh you know it's it's pretty common these days for us to talk about mcu and uh this show is no stranger to the works of one mr stephen king so my uh what you're reading uh stephen king has released two books so far this year um his uh first book was a the third novel that he wrote for the in print called hard case crime um and then his and it's called later just the word later his uh the the more recent book um is a book called Billy Summers. So I think I've mentioned on pod before that Stephen King is such a staple of my, you know, uh, just my cultural understanding that he's the one author that I actively seek to know nothing about. I just find out from his website, oh, okay, he's got a new book coming out. Let me mark the date that it's going to be coming out so that I can go pick it up. And I actively do not read a dust jacket. I do not. It's the same way that some people want to go into something they know they're going to watch without seeing a trailer. You know, it's, it's kind like of, <laughs> right. It's kind of that thing, but, but, uh, for, for a book. So basically, uh, I always try to go into a new Stephen King novel, knowing absolutely nothing. Part of the reason that I do that to myself, you referenced this, uh, which I still don't know as of this recording, you referenced this appearance by, another character mm-hmm. uh in a uh you know in this uh new shang chi movie and so stephen king does a lot of self-referential sort of connections and throwbacks and things like that i will uh, i we've revealed it on pod before so i will spoil it here yet again that there is a return character in the outsider in his novel the outsider that appears right. halfway through the if you've seen the hbo tv show this character is not a, a surprise but um in the novel it was a very big surprise i was like oh i'd, I'd read of the outside yes uh, i had right, i had right, read yeah. the works that this character was more prominently featured in before and then to find that character show up again with complete you know i had no clue whatsoever that they were going to play such a pivotal role in this new novel that i was like oh wow that's fantastic so that's why all of that to say that's why i go into stephen king books blind is because i love those little surprises so um some brief reviews that, my favorite experience of that is in the one you're referring to when you turn the page and it's 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 alluding to a new character and you turn the page on the top it just says in quotation marks M O O N, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, "Wow, he's back!" Yeah, that's you know? not the character, but yes, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, carry on. No, 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 that's okay. So, uh, brief reviews of the two books: uh, the film later, or the film, the book later, um, is an interesting uh, kind of premise. Most of Stephen King's books are, um, but it's basically, I would say, like. The Sixth Sense meets CSI. Like it's a it's a child who has the capacity to speak to specters uh, and and dead people. And then when the people in his nexus find that out, that becomes a thing that they leverage, and that sort of drives the narrative forward. There is a call out, as I had referenced before. There is a like a a, a 
an allusion and a call out to earlier works of his that I thought was cool, but well, I want to know. I want you to want know. to know what it is uh, right now. Yes, skip it if you don't want to know. Okay, I want to know. So this is in later. This is in later. Yes. What was another? What was the other? The book? other book I'm going to talk about in a second. It's called Billy Summers. Oh, um, oh. but uh, in later, uh, about midway through, it's not a character, but uh, the ritual of Chud uh, directly plays oh. a role wow. in the uh, in the novel. So. Um, and uh, you know, plays into and that's a reference to it. Yes, that's a reference right? to it. Um, and so that's always now fun. in the. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. In the book, it what is the ritual of Chud? It's that means by which they uh, invoke and sort of control paranormal, supernatural beings. It's a way to sort of enter into a, an astral plane so that you can mm, okay. then yep, you know yep. influence the things around you. Uh, I'm explaining it very gotcha. reductively, but the, you know it's sure. but uh, and that plays a factor in the um, in the narrative of later. I will say, by and large, later is is fine. It's 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 okay. It's good. I always love a new Stephen King. So if you're whether if you're wondering whether to read it, yes, it is now. <laughs> it is not the or 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 say. at another time in the in the future, um, or you know at at, at a uh, you know a date forthcoming. Yeah. Then you can then you yeah. Know, so, um, but uh, I will say that for that book, like of course I always enjoy Stephen King. One advantage to it is it's it's not like the greatest it's not going to enter into the upper tier of stephen king stuff but it's very brief um later is only like uh, i think a couple hundred pages so if you're looking interested Seriously? in stephen king oh, oh yeah 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 if you're if you're interested in you know some stephen king that stuff that's, for him yeah that's not going to take a long time i'm probably a you know a, a long afternoon uh if you're you know the reader of that caliber but i will say this and i'm not going to spoil too much because a i'm not quite done with it yet uh, so I don't know exactly where all it's going. Um, and B, uh, there are a lot of uh, cool like narrative twists and turns in it. But his more recent novel, Billy Summers, is great. It is huh. fantastic. If you were a what's fan... The, what's the loose, the loose So the loose plot. premise is there is uh, a hired assassin. It's got a little bit of a Dexter feel in the premise in that there is a man who is supremely good at killing people. He's in his mid-40s, and he is a hired assassin, but his singular stipulation is he only kills, in air quotes, bad people. So he will only take the job to assassinate someone who has committed a heinous or atrocious act. And at the beginning, and this is probably the extent of what I should share because of where the novel surprisingly quickly goes, um, in the beginning, he accepts what will be his final job. It will be his final job because of the size of the payday. Like once he receives the money mm -hmm. for this final job, right. um, he's going to disappear and he's just going to drift. The people who hire him think he is something of an imbecile and he is an incredibly sharp, smart, savvy individual. But part of his persona is that he is really good at, at assassinating people, but is a little slow in the intelligence quotient, at least that's the way he presents himself to other people. And what's cool is this final job that he takes requires him to pose as a neighborly figure in a community for a certain period of time before he has to fulfill the job. And so there's a lot of this whole like, uh, again, I don't want to say too much about where the narrative goes, but he's basically got to get to know people and got to put himself out there. And uh, there's all this, these sort of concepts around community and stuff. While meanwhile, he's working with these people. Uh, you spend a lot of time with him, but the biggest tipping, uh, I, 
I think you'll resonate with why I'm pointing this out just for you individually. For those who enjoy Stephen King but sometimes get tired of him shoehorning in supernatural elements to novels that probably don't require them, mm-hmm. later obviously has supernatural elements. Billy Summers, at least thus far, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. <laughs> you don't speak too soon. There, I know. Now, he loves that third act curveball. Final thing. Yeah, that's but right. Aliens. But about three quarters of the way through. And in Dreamcatcher, it's actually but aliens. That, that like, literally, <laughs> like, I can't use the word he used on the podcast because this is ostensibly still a family show. But yeah. um, so, but uh, but yeah. So Billy Summers, at least three fourths of the way through the book, is directly like it's it's a crime novel, and it's wonderful. So it's so very suspenseful. Kind of in summary, you know, listener Shang Chi. I'm curious people's takes. You know, once it comes out, and you know, I, I will rewatch it. Of course, hopefully this time with less outside pressure upon me but uh for your uh assessment read you'd say billy summers now and the other one not now yeah yeah uh, in the in the future for you know to to be announced you know uh tbd tbd yes so um so yeah so where i'll end that whole little statement is that later is for the ultra enthusiasts maybe even the completists it's fun it's good but whatever billy summers depending on where it lands has the potential to rank in the upper tier like billy summers is a great great book and i'm Mm. I'm having a wonderful time reading it uh it's it's really fun yeah i really enjoy it for fans of like folks who liked mr mercedes at least the first of novel in that trilogy mm-hmm. like oh my gosh it's great yeah so All right. that's there you that's go it. what are you watching and what are you reading what are you listening what are you listening what are you watching and what are you reading what are you listening what are you to. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, again. thank you, Vinalas. We appreciate your offering. Um, you know, he did. I think we used it. He gave us an Avengers themed something. Oh. Back he absolutely Infinity did. War. Yeah, I know he yeah. did. I just can't remember. I assume we used it. I can't recall. We used it's it on. Yeah, we used it on Avengers: Infinity War. I can't remember if we used it on Endgame or not, but I'm fairly certain we used it on Avengers: Infinity War. One of our Avengers episodes, we used his Avengers. You know, what you I think that's a lot. So Endgame has developed a double me- a double meaning in our home because it's also mm. a the title of a Taylor Swift song off of the album Reputation. Uh-huh. Wanna be your end game? Yeah, but that's the song where that she one. says "Big Reputation," right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that the one? I think so. Big reputation, big reputation. Ooh, you and me, we got a big reputation. Uh, I think that's the album, but I don't know that that's End Game. Okay, know. well, they kind of blur together because it's on <laughs> friggin' repeat. But <laughs> Big Reputation, which I guess the name of that song might be Reputation, uh, uh, has been redubbed Big Daddy Nathan. You know, that's, that's that's how it gets sung in our house. Big, big Daddy Nathan. Nathan. I'll look at my <laughs> I'll point to my kids and be like, all of y'all got a big daddy Nathan. Oh it's yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, fun. That's delightful. And they're like, that's okay, delightful. daddy. Especially the <laughs> oldest one these days. It's like, mm, <laughs> no thank you. <laughs> no thank you. Um, read. Yes. So we are covering 
thanks to uh, our our friend of the show, Abby Dusnap. We are covering a what Who still saves has one of the us- best last names on the planet. Absolutely. That's a great. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, creative watches, delivered a watch uh, to the tune of Shallow. Uh, Shallow. That's right. Hey, wait, um, we should just go ahead and hear from her again. You want to? But, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks. Abby, take it away. Hi, Reed. Hi, Nathan. You asked us for submissions on what saves us, and I have two. Dead Poet Society and Remember the Titans. Dead Poet Society saved my creative soul in a world where fitting into traditional boxes is rewarded. Mr. Keating teaches his students to make their own boxes, stand on them, and let loose a barbaric yop. Remember the Titans saved my hope for humanity. Coach Boone teaches his players that fighting for each other is way better than fighting with each other. Thanks so much, you guys. I hope you have a great episode. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you so much. So I have to I have to mention Do it. First up that of course she didn't make our choice easy for us putting two really great films, Dead Poet Society and Remember the Titans, up against each other. So Left um, side strong <laughs> side. But uh a lot of love. Poor Cole went out for uh for Remember the Titans, a lot of love on that, but uh some personal connections on my part and I think uh, you had a, at least echoed the sentiment as well, sort of gave a little bit of an edge to Dead Poet Society. So I have a, uh, I have a bit of a long storied history with this film that I can abbreviate, but I, I was curious, like, what's your intersection with Dead Poet Society? Like, had you... Well, it feels important. I know you'd seen it before. It feels important to note that it blows my mind that of what's out there, this is our first fear of God starring now he he was a support mm. in dead again <laughs> true <With> that, <laughs> that roundhouse dead kick, again. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, random what was he a formerly a doctor and he's now he he's formerly a, a psychiatrist yeah uh, but now he's a butcher yeah or like yeah, works uh, in a pharmacy mm, or something. yeah uh yeah. but no it, it kind of blows my mind that this is this is our first mm-hmm. robin williams starring a vehicle here i would have thought maybe one hour photo maybe insomnia maybe yeah. we'll get around to those at some point maybe someday um, yeah flubber final cut <laughs> flubber final <laughs> cut man said flubber final cut? have you ever heard of final cut final cut is the most ridiculous premise in the world and it's 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 probably not i don't remember it being a great movie but the premise of it is that um he is a man who is tasked with observe viewing in the future your entire life is filmed, and when you die, somebody has the task of viewing your life for a best of clips show to be able to edit together. But <laughs> I'm already kind of lost. But that's the thing is like in the premise is the idea of well, if you're reviewing someone's life, like wouldn't that take a lifetime to review somebody's life? <laughs> so they just hmm. kind of bypass that logical fallacy. Yeah. And uh, but but it is a thriller. It is although a, admittedly but, we may have dear robin feature again here in a minute uh, oh yes uh, it won't be long because we did get another robin williams uh submission that we will absolutely Who knew Aladdin was to. that impactful to some <laughs> listener you know <laughs> it's not Alibaba Aladdin. did That's have those great. 40 thieves oh um, my gosh back to she dead society well, Master, you're in luck because of your sleeves. You got a brand new You got some power in your corner now. <laughs> some heavy wow. ammunition in your in camp. Your you got some power because how, how, who, and how. All you got to do, is, you rub gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Aladdin, sir, oh have gosh. a wish or two or three. Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never had a friend never like me. Friend like 
Oh, Robin <laughs> Abby's like, good lord. Okay, get to it. She's get like, I wish you'd it. chosen Remember the Titans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then it would just be a whole bunch of King Kong ain't got yeah. shit on me. <laughs> gonna do that crazy bear oh you went right for it i love it oh that's funny my man um okay what are we talking about okay uh mrs doubtfire um depo society yes i had seen this before um i think it was probably one of those box checkers maybe circa college days you know like i just want to have sure sure, sure. so watch um and so because of that i didn't have a great attachment to it uh, uh I, gotcha. I respected and liked it now i will say this particular viewing was quite moving uh really and and awesome. mm. kind of inspiring mm. so 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 yeah uh, um aware of uh, appreciator of but but no real sure attachment to coming in so this film was one that for me going into, so I, I got to go back. He does not listen to the show. We only barely just became Facebook friends again. But uh, my sixth grade English teacher, uh, Mr. David Poston, one of a handful. Of t- I, have, I have been blessed to have had uh, a number of really Im- impressive teachers, easily five or six that I love and have meant a great deal to me over time. And, uh, you know, especially in grade school, Mr. Poston really impacted me a lot. And he uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Uh, I believe he is retired now, but he is uh, he may not be as far as I, I just don't know. But um, he uh, showed us in his English class, Dead Poet Society. Obviously, the time constraints of a classroom. I believe we watched this over three different classroom installments. So the very first time I saw the film. I saw it in segments. Sure. And this film at the time, to summarize just an absolutely watershed moment in the life of Reed Lackey, made me, and for a certain number of years, through the rest of my elementary school career and through the first year of my collegiate career, made me want to be a high school English teacher. Like Mm. this film, I have only ever in my life cited three films depending on the period or season they were in, I've only ever in my life cited three films as my very favorite film. The Exorcist is Batman now... Batman versus and, Superman. Well, stop it. So, um, <laughs> Way um, back! Um, so uh, The Exorcist is usually what gets cited because that currently is my favorite film and has been for a very long time. Um, I would also occasionally cite the big uh, epic Franco Zeffirelli miniseries known as Jesus of Nazareth. I would occasionally cite that. But then there was a time period, especially through high school, and uh, it it had a big impact on me. I uh, would cite Dead Poet Society as my favorite film. Um, It moved me tremendously, and as I said, like through the remainder of my high school career, I wanted to be a high school English teacher. I wanted to be able to accomplish something uh, to the degree of inspiration that Mr. Keating has done in this film. My feelings about it now uh, are, you know, more mature and uh, and and to to a certain degree a little bit more complicated uh, as it stands right now. But I still have a, a tremendous amount of affection uh, for this film. Yes, you there uh, with the beard? 
sensing you winding down there i wanted to throw out here so i thought this Mm -hmm. is where you're heading and you didn't quite go there so so maybe this won't be a redundant response but i got a question for you reed and depending on where this takes us maybe we go into that so right after this but oh okay you know the 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 brief summary that's already been alluded to the film is about a boys school where uh, a very traditional uh, uh is parochial the appropriate word here but um I so. you know kind Preparatory. of yeah yeah private school that uh you know this feeder program for ivy league Mm-hmm. men and that robin williams character enters as a former student you know uh, a son of the program himself uh to teach and how he inspires and challenges and moves and disrupts even the the status quo present and yeah. so my question to you which was very on the nose but maybe fodder for interesting conversation is who is a john keating for you reed Hmm. You know, to, I don't. I don't mean a personality you listen to on a podcast these days. I mean, and you, as you look back, and and I, I have one I can talk about if you need a minute. But whether it's a teacher, whether it's a just a personality, an, an authority in your upbringing that would have accomplished similar things to what this guy does, uh, to what Keating does. Do you want a minute? No, because I have an answer. I'm just afraid it might be the same as yours. No. Nope, um, Oh, it won't be? Okay. All right. Then I'll mention. Yeah. So it'd be similar, but no. mm, So, so mine, whenever I think of this, I had a, I had a tremendous amount of wonderful teachers in high school. Um, I, you know, I've already referenced David Poston, uh, for, you know, introducing me to this movie and for inspiring me a lot in my journey through just falling in love with literature. Uh, and, um, I also want to mention Lewis Carpenter, my history teacher, uh, who has since passed away, and he is—he uh, was a wonderful, wonderful high school uh, teacher. Yeah, high school. Um, but the immediate answer, and it—it it, it feels a bit disingenuous because he's also a personal friend, but is our collegiate professor of theater in uh, college. Well, collegiate professor, but uh, is Keith Cassidy. So he's That's been not referenced on the show. Before. You didn't—he didn't enter your life as a friend. No, that's true. As, a, no. as an instructor, and he, he entered entered my life as an instructor, and perhaps appropriate that I'm mentioning him in the context of this film because it was under his tutelage that shifted my affections from wanting to be a high school English teacher to wanting to create stories like this that would hopefully inspire people, sure. wanting to sort of move into more of a creative vein. Um, but really. Um, you know, Keith's Keith's influence on my life is largely incalculable. Um, and and I happen to know that he listens to the show. So I just need to put a button on mm, that. Yeah, that like, it up, if, Reed. But no, no, no. That like if he is listening to the show, I am not saying this just because he is listening to the show. If you had asked me this, you know, in sure. a hangout, you know, somewhere, it would be the same answer. Like um Keith's uh influence over me. Did I tell you the story? Have I told the story on pod? That happened at Disneyland. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was on Pod, but you you told I'll, me. Um, in case it was, in case it wasn't on Pod, I'll just mention uh, there was this really, really ama- like uh, Keith right now. I think lives in uh, the the sort of Upper East area, like over near like Connecticut. I can't exactly remember exactly where he where he lives, but East Coast, I believe. And then um, he, you look kind of funny. Did, I don't, I don't am think I missing? Right. But doesn't matter. But. No, oh. I think he's more in the Cincinnati area, right? Because didn't he come back? Oh, Cincinnati yeah. is what I'm thinking of, yeah, not yeah, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Cincinnati it's, is right. It's different. Um, 
is a completely different place. They both start with C, but they're totally. He was not a geography totally teacher. Different. He was a theater no, teacher. No, he wasn't. No, <laughs> no. If he had been, I would know it, you know, because he was a really good teacher. So if he had taught me geography, boy, I would have gotten that right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so, but no, like uh, my wife and I, and this was actually during, you know, COVID times, but, but, you know, where some things had begun to open up with certain like mask mandates and restrictions and things like that. Um, we, so he lives in the Cincinnati area. We live in Southern California. My wife and I went down to downtown Disney after they had opened up and just spent an afternoon with, uh, just me, my wife and our son, uh, just shopping around cause we enjoy that area. It was just a chance for us to have just a day together. And we had spent this entire day and we were winding down towards the end and towards the end of our day, as we were walking out of the park, we had the notion, oh, the line to get into the Star Wars store is not very long. So why don't we go ahead and wander into the Star Wars store? Okay, so we wander into the Star Wars store, and when we wander there, I'm walking around, and my wife and son are walking around. We're sort of just browsing different areas, and I turn a corner, and everybody's masked. That's important for the story. I turn a corner, everybody is masked, and suddenly I hear a voice that is calling out for his son, and it is it is Keith. I mean, spoiler alert if you didn't already see where the story is going. So the fact that a he lives in a completely other part of the country and B that we would be in that exact place at that exact time that he would be visiting his son and that they would be at downtown Disney and that they would be in that store that it wasn't a guarantee we were going to walk into. Like we had no knowledge of our proximity to each other, but the moment that he, uh, you know, called out for his son and I recognized his voice. I mean, the jubilee that erupted when we, re- when we recognized each other, I just turned around and said something ridiculous. Like I cannot believe this or something like that. And then he and I just, you know, the boisterous energy that Keith can sometimes present it's when like he gets excited about something. <laughs> it is a, it is a barbaric. It is a yelp. Yelp, indeed. And uh, we just got, it was so thrilling. It's just absolutely a, a, a special, special experience. So Keith uh, was, uh, you know, was in my wedding and, um, you know, we, we had a lot of laughs, the three of us, and it was just really a, a wonderful and special experience. And I really, really cherish his friendship we in should, my life. And so the answer is... should yeah. have him on the show sometime. That'd be fun. You think... Should we? That would, that would be really... Sure, why not? That'd be a really good time. I mean... That'd be a really good time. You know, now, we should... Yeah, we should. In defense of me for a moment here, um, like our watches, sometimes we overlap here. If it were mm. purely in an academic setting, Keith would have been the go-to. Keith knows my deep love and affection for him. Uh, yes. Uh, I had the privilege a few years back of writing a piece for our alma mater uh, about the birth, the, the play I perform. And, and uh, for I don't remember the actual edict for the or the mandate for the, the written piece, but it was about my time at Gardner-Webb and the impact and specifically name dropped and spent a, a good bit of writing uh, on Keith and another professor there, mm. Paula Qualls uh, for all the joy and laughter that you and I share. Uh, there might be none so acute a moment as the night before your wedding, when <laughs> the three of us into the night in oh tears, just, just uproarious joy and laughter it was and, and I'm sure quite uh, untoward humor um uh, <laughs> keith, keith has been to see my play the birth uh he and i got to visit a number of years ago when he did and i was in a particularly hard spot in life and he was very uh 
a, a comfort as you would know him mm. to be. So, so yes, from an academic standpoint, there's no question. Keith, uh, would, would hit those marks. Now, my, the, 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 the personality I'm going to reference here, um, honestly, uh, uh, unlike Keith was more of a flash in the pan of my life. Um, you know, a, a momentary, a little more in the Keating mold in this scenario, this analogy here, uh, uh, someone who has a grand impact in an immediate moment and then kind of has some strange overlap with what happens in the film here. So when I was, uh, uh, actually the islands who, mm. who, who, mm. you know, have already been name dropped on this episode, uh, chase and I attended, a Baptist church together in Columbus, Georgia years ago, actually one I came to by way of his family. So kind of got enmeshed in that community that way. Um, kind of had my formative evangelical teen years in that community and, and have much love and affection for most of that time. Um, hmm. The latter era of my involvement there overlaps with college. And so there was a lot of, you know, distance that had begun happening as it yeah. as it naturally would but late i think in my high school years that uh, my chronology may be a little off but it must have at least been not completely once i was gone to college and just venturing back and forth um a pastor came to that church who who will for the purposes of this conversation this was his title and name but brother al and mm -hmm. al had the impact on me as a forming in my spiritual formation that Keating has on these boys and their academic form, their, their artistic and, you know, kind of enrichment formation. So mm, mm. he, he showed me a version of lived pastoral faith, especially though lived faith appropriate is an appropriate way to describe it as well. That, um, was radical to me at the time. Mm. And, I mean, like a, like, a, like tossing a boulder in a pond was the impact this had on my sort of understanding of how you can sort of be and, and exist right. in faith. Mm. And, and, you know, and, and honestly, right now, I wouldn't even have kind of the, the particulars to point out it was this and it was that. It was more just, wow, I did not know you could be like this person. And I'm very, yeah. this mm. is very attracted mm. to their sort of way of being. Um, right. And so I, I, I honestly don't even know how long he was at the church, but it was a short time because much like Keating and the, uh, faults blame the school assigns him for the disruption that happens because of his inspiration. So to, right. uh, this experience for me and, uh, I don't, was it written down on this? Um, yeah. I have it in my theme here as relevant to this movie. Um, mm. I, maybe I, I'm, it's possible I referenced this on the show before. Uh, it's perhaps until the day I die, this is emblazoned in my memory and, and, and possibly an instructive for how cautious I am to throw my lot to too firmly in one particular any particular kind of camp uh so so brother al a bit more charismatic a bit more 
I don't, I don't even know the words for it, but, but impactful to my spiritual formation, uh, starts by virtue of his ways disrupting the Southern Baptist and Southern slash, uh, comma Baptist church mm. that he is mm. now, ha- that he had been invited to be a part of. <laughs> and wow. then upon learning that this is a gentleman who had been married previous to the marriage he was in, uh, was it was these the the ammunition those who were interested in ousting him needed to wow mm. tie the knot on his career at this place and and man you 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 are you cut your teeth on pews so this type of yeah setting and this type of energy will not be foreign to you whatsoever but for someone like me who had gotten who had gotten grafted into this thing that had become so meaningful and important and then you introduce this persona and personality that radically mm-hmm. transforms for me what is possible right mm. as an 18 year old 18 or 19 year old i remember reed standing in this uh, uh sanctuary that was the church was still in debt for because that's what we do um <clears throat> And they had called this business meeting. And at that point, I had had enough skin in the game at this place where I I went to this business meeting. I mean, it was a church-wide wow. sort of thing. Yes, sure. And sure. because of how meaningful this person was to me and all that sort of stuff. And I remember watching this old woman whom Jesus loves, uh, but who was, of course, not an active member anymore, was one of these – was of – of a homebound sort of designation at that point, but it showed yeah. up, had shown up for, yeah. for, they the, always show up for this, for the lynching. And, mm-hmm. uh, I remember watching this woman make her way with her cane down the center aisle because it was, people could offer their thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that's, that's a smart choice. And, <laughs> and, and hearing this person, and their words that became totemic. Mm. Uh, uh, this was no longer one individual block in the path. It was representative of it all. When she said of this gentleman who had become so meaningful to me, uh, he's just not Baptist enough. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of all she wrote uh, for yeah. this gentleman's yeah. time at this church and and in in probably a lot of ways you know my time at that church and and um you know so so uh, strangely dramatic story perhaps but as i assess uh, because sure you know kind of like you um i have extreme fondness for many and academic personality i mean my my mother is a retired school teacher so just school and studiousness and yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, affection for a, a professorial position is kind of just mm-hmm. in my blood. But, but as I looked at the impact Keating has on this community, that's what mm-hmm. resonated for me of like, man, that's what this was like for me was being moved, yeah. being challenged, being having my comprehension and capacity for what's possible, uh, in a life of faith altered to then be suddenly uh, uh, stamped out by ripped you know, away. Yeah. 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 Right. So, yeah, uh, no, that's it. That's I, I am. Mm-hmm. I love that Keith 
has been getting some love lately and yeah let's let's maybe investigate that uh see see where that comes if you feel good as as sort of not right as that story was let's find some stuff that is i agree that's so right it's just so right it's just so right that's just so That's awesome. You just bought a Ben Affleck. You're like, you know, it's like what was the, the infamous. <laughs> like, yeah, where uh, it's Henry like Cavill. basically they're 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 criticizing Batman versus Superman. Henry Cavill begins to explain certain things as the camera slow pans in on on Ben Affleck, and it's playing the Simon and Garfunkel "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend." Cavill and gets, literally in silence is just just jabbering. Just you know, jabbering he's away. doing yes. his good good that's, PR that's thing. That's a good man. That's yeah. a good man. Henry, and a lot Affleck of love just, for Henry Cavill on this. And I then agree. Affleck's like, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh my gosh. Um, uh, so Reed, we've set up the loose plot of this movie. We've, we've indeed uh, 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 excavated our own closets uh, on, on <laughs> analogs in our life relative to Sir Keating here. Um, let's talk about some things that are, that are just really so right, right about this movie. Um, so you want to do right. two each? I'll let, we can do two each. I yeah. want you to finish because of the import this film has for you. So I will go first, then okay. you the Okay. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Sounds good. Yep. Um, and and there may be some overlap, so yeah. my apologies yeah. here. I'll lead yeah, with fine. my favorite, and I rewatched okay. it today. I can't articulate what this time through kind of did for me in the scene when Keating is coaching todd into Mm. his story Mm -hmm. into his poem Mm -hmm. like yes there's another moment that may come up via you or me that that uh there are is a more subtle version of a similar thing but one i had forgotten if i ever knew that this was a peter weir film so automatically when i see his name like oh okay yeah i already knew this is going to be a good film but okay now you're in the hands of of an artist here and so because he is a great director yes he is He's wonderful. and so I'm already kind of opening my heart to whatever this is going to do. And, and I will be very honest. I got teary just, just kind of feeling that moment. Uh, yes. And, and because, because there's so many layers happening there and, and literally if for some reason you haven't watched the film, uh, the, the Ethan Hawke in, I think his, it's, it, it isn't literally his first role, first film Very role, early, but, though. you know, yeah. literally the beginning of his career uh, is playing the wallflower, uh, Todd Anderson, I believe. But Todd um, Anderson mm-hmm. is is the kind of quiet, uh, doesn't participate much, doesn't verbalize much in class, but is very moved by this new instructor they have in Robin Williams. Uh, and the, the day comes when the assignment of delivering their poem, which which we know as viewers, he's been working on and tinkering away on, but has, has absolutely lost mm-hmm. all confidence in himself and 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 uh, offers that he does not have one. And, and this possibly a top 20 moment in a film for me, like like it, it mm. had that level mm-hmm. of of imaginative power to watch this and and it helps if you know kind of just robin williams as a persona uh which yeah, i know even you yeah. do a little more than i do but just the 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 power of this person trying to get 
these young men to see beyond what's possible. And, and literally the choreography of the scene is he starts lovingly kind of taunting, like do yeah. this thing. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can do this. I know you can do this. Uh, uh, free your mind, use your imagination, mm-hmm. uh, look at this mm-hmm. photo and kind of don't think, don't think, just start talking and then puts his hand right. over his eyes. Cause the, the other students are, are not in, in malice, but kind of laughing at the moment. And he's saying, don't right. pay attention to them. And the camera spinning around the two of them hmm. as Williams is pushing him. And Ethan Hawke starts to, you know, you, you picture this, this airplane starting to kind of come up. It's, it's, it's front yeah. wheels coming up off the, off the airstrip. And Robin Williams yeah. kneels as he watches intently as, as the, the muse takes over. And it is, it is <sighs> man powerful. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't know. Oh, and, and it ends. It ends in this beautiful, beautiful moment of him, of, of Keating coming to him and grabbing him by the, by his neck and hugs his head towards him. And he says, don't you forget this. Don't you forget this. Oh man. It's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. If I had a, if I had a ranking to these notations, it is quite possible. There's another moment that rivals it, and this may be what you were uh, uh, referencing, but that moment, particularly this viewing, Keating pulling the poetry out of Todd is it is uh, it steamrolled me emotionally. It was it is so powerful. And and I hope you feel this way too. But I think the fun of even that ain't right. But that's so right is let's let's camp out in these moments. Like I think mm-hmm. that scene is just representative of the entire endeavor, which is use your imagination, free your mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let go of what has to be and think about what can be. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and man, like, like I sort of got extemporaneous on with Massimo last week. Like we forget that we, 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 we neglect that, you know, we, we get, we get stuck anyway. So, yeah. so I would, Absolutely. I've got a few on here. That would probably be the top yeah. for me. Yeah. No, no, I concurred. That's, it's hard to beat that moment. If any moment, and of course it's the, when I was in high school watching this movie for the first time, this moment like challenged so much of my perceptions and expectations. Um, and, but of course the final moment is, uh, is what I would cite where earlier in the film, Keating stood up on a desk to basically illustrate you need to change your perspective, you know, see the world from a different point of view and actively and intentionally seek out a new point of view, a new vantage point. Well, that's the only moment in the film that has happened. And throughout the film, uh, he lovingly and somewhat jokingly says, refer to me as, oh, captain, my captain. You know, he doesn't d- directly uh, dictate for them to do that, but there's one scene where they're following him across the you know, the quad, the field, and mm, they keep saying, Mr. Yeah, Keating, Mr. Yeah, Keating. And then he doesn't return. He doesn't turn around to them until they say, Oh, captain, my captain. And then he's like, gentlemen, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, the moment that I am citing as my, you know, contribution to that. So right. Is towards the end, something dreadful and terrible has happened. If you have not seen this film, this is the major spoiler of the film. One of Keating's students, uh, arguably one of the primary characters, uh, he, not arguably, one of the primary characters, um, is suffering under a very domineering father and, uh, unfortunately, through the course of the film, takes his own life. 
when he takes his own life, the school, uh, in some ways that we can unpack later if we need to, but basically the school looks for a scapegoat and finds it in his unconventional teacher. So you already kind of referenced this, Nathan, uh, in, in sharing your own personal story. So they basically choose to scapegoat Mr. Keating uh, for the death of this boy, which is a dreadful thing to think about. Um, he's losing his job, maybe even losing his possibility to teach anywhere else, um, and that's a dreadful thought. And as he is packing up his personal belongings, and the other teacher who has taken over, the the head of the school, has taken over Keating's class, um, as he is leaving, the students of his who had been basically coerced into uh, signing a confession, blaming Keating for all of the bad that had happened— uh, the students have to sit there and watch as Keating, who they genuinely love, is packing up his things. And as he is about to leave, he's about to exit, and Ethan Hawke's character stands up and bursts and just says, "Like they made me sign it. They made you know they made me sign the thing. Like it wasn't it wasn't his fault." And you can just see Ethan Hawke was already such a volcanic performer, and uh, you can just see all of this emotion just bursting out, trying to escape from him. This is the Todd character that you were just referencing uh, in the scene. Uh, you know, Keating had pulled so much out of him, and it meant so much to him. And this was such a a, a crucial moment for him, decision wise and character wise. And Keating is very reassuring. He's like, "I know." I know, you know, like basically like, no, I know, don't make a scene, like, thank you, I know. But then as Keating is about to leave, Ethan Hawke stands up on his desk and says, oh, captain, my captain, in clearly and easily the boldest moment that character has ever taken in the course of the time we spend with him. And it inspires most of the class, not all, which is something I have come to love. Um, it inspires most of the class to also stand on their desk and look and say, oh, captain, my captain, as a, as a kind of a silent victory of sending Keating off with the knowledge that he has, in fact, inspired these boys. And they are going to do something to try to make their lives extraordinary and that they will not forget the lessons that he's taught them. And it is a really powerful and meaningful moment um, as the stodgy old head of the school is desperately trying to call them all down from their desks. They just stand there. Uh, it, it It's wonderful. The students who do stand, the student who doesn't stand, it's just such a wonderfully crafted moment. Um, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Did, I, I failed to actually look this up. Is this based on any text or is no, it it's original it was okay. original play yeah, mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, there's a chance you know if i had to guess that ending makes a lot of best film ending lists you know i'm sure um yeah, i'm sure that that that's on my list uh but it is so much the button of the film that there was actually another scene early here's here's how to frame this idea watching the movie first time in at least a decade love robin williams have have only grown in my love for ethan hawk the last couple years um so lots of things going for it uh abby's last name is Snap. so there's a lot going for this movie and <laughs> and um and uh then see peter Weir's name like oh sweet cool and mm-hmm. honestly the first moment that really made me catch my breath was was the hallway scene mm. with the photos the carpe mm. diem and that moment works so well it does oh my and, gosh and it's and it's the technical this is what i mean by weir's hand here it's the technical mastery that happens in that scene that feeds the bigger sort of ideas of of 
to quote uh, Keating, poetry, beauty, romance, and love, these are what we stay alive for. And um, <laughs> in that scene, what literally happens in the movie, story versus movie, what happens in the story is Keating invites all the kids out into the hallway to observe past photos of classes of this school. What happens in the movie is the film just slows to a halt. Yes. To the point that there's extended bits of silence Hmm. where it will be black and white photo of a group of young men cut to the onlooking faces of current young men right back and back and forth and back and forth probably three or four times. And then you have Keating start to whisper carpe diem to them. Mm. And Mm. I was just incredibly moved by such a thoughtful, a thoughtfully executed moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is to, to invite us to reckon with our, our place in the time in which we live and what that, what that meant and what it means and what it can mean. Um, I don't know. I was, I was really, I was really taken with that scene. It it really kind of, it, it was the moment where you're like, okay, if it weren't for all the other sort of technical elements in the casting, this is going to be something kind of special based on just how that scene is, is constructed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, I'm, I'm going to throw a one line throwaway honorable mention to, and then I'll I'll close out our that's so right with a with a more deliberate moment that inspires me tremendously. But uh, I'll throw an honorable mention to, hey, it's it's God. He says we should have girls at Welton. <laughs> I just thought that was a really fun moment. Um, but my final mention would have been of, good if of, it was call and collect. That's, that's he's like hmm, phone call from God. If it had been collect, that would have been daring. Um, <laughs> God, I love Robin Williams. Like I could spend. I'm not going to, but I could spend the next hour that like. Of all the celebrity deaths, and my wife knew, and when it was announced that he had died, she actually called me. I was at work, and she called me because she knew, like, this one's going to hit. This one's going to hit you hard. Like, she she knew that, like, yes, I had never met him. I'd never spent any time with him except for his creative output, but Robin Williams was a very, very big deal. Still is a very, very big deal. Um, I I loved his work more and more that I'm hearing about the person he was behind the camera. I just love, love, love so much about Robin Williams. And he's a huge Zelda fan. Yes, he is. He named his daughter Zelda. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Breath of the Wild, actually. And so, like, basically, he... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) um, I tip my Minish cap to you, sir. Look out. (laughs) Look out. (laughs) Um, But my final Uh, moment for that's so right is... God, I I love it. I made that nerdy of a joke. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hey, no, no, no. Don't apologize. That was glorious. Carpe diem. Well, I didn't didn't know if um, I should try or force it or kind of do both, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right force. Oh my god! So, so that was that was good. That was good. Okay, my that's so right moment. Yes. All right. So um, <laughs> he's got uh, Neil uh, who is reading the 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 essay by Pritchard, and then Robin Williams mm. is just you know Keating is just like charting up on the board like oh okay this is going to be he's basically like doing math like a, a math an graph yeah, yeah an equation for poetry and then when he's finished reading that first page of the of the essay he's just like hmm and then Keating just says excrement yeah yeah and everybody's like what and then I love it 
I love it where he's like, rip out that, rip out that page. He's like, rip out the page, rip out the whole chapter. Be gone, J. Evans Pritchard, PhD. You know, like, and while he's encouraging them and grabbing the wastebasket, and while he's encouraging them to rip out those pages and just tear it up and rip it out, what you see three or four times as they rip out the essay at the is just the words boldly on the page, poetry, part one. And that is such an effective visual image of just like they're tearing out the 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 analysis of it, the the equation, the mechanics of it, and they're getting into the spirit and the romance and the the beauty and the love and and it's just such a wonderful visual representation, uh the energy that he, you know, just stokes the room up into. Sure. Um it's just it's wonderful and it's so right. It's all it's all just so right. It's all it's it's also right. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I like oh, to awesome. I like to save my few that ain't rights for outside of that so right. But I, I just got I, I just got to say, you know, the headmaster spanking Charlie is just not a good. That's look. terrible. That ain't no, right. It's terrible. No, it's, ain't it right. ain't right. No, it's um, terrible. Speaking of the headmaster, you know, I feel like Welton is. It's like. Keating is this year's uh, uh, dark arts professor. It's like, <laughs> geez, man, yeah, it's just the revolving like, wow. door. Like, That's so meanwhile, funny. you got the Latin teacher who is your Snape, just eyeballing that liter- literature oh, class. He's like, oh, I know. Yeah, you know what, Keating? Agricolae, agricolae, agricolae. That really sounds like you're saying the uh, Mitchell's versus Machine song that my (laughs) four-year-old calls. Hey, Daddy, will you play My Lahi, My Laho? That is so, so funny. Um, You know, it's funny that you mentioned, like, I do love the the little Latin professor, like, and yes, the Snape allegory, he does sort of come off that way. But I do love the little touch that they have clearly become friends by the end of it. Sure. You know, that even despite everything else, like he hangs out with him. And then even after everything is sort of going downhill and Keating is clearly going to lose his job, um, the professor and he share a moment where, you know, he's down in the on the ground and he sees Keating up in his window yeah. and they share a wave. And like, I just, I just think that's a really nice touch because at first he was very sort of antagonistic. He even barges in, in the scene when the students mm-hmm. are all ripping up the papers and thinks that they're being rebellious. When, they, when the and, Cornish pixies are flying all around. <laughs> wow. All the Hogwarts references, all of them. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so no, I, I, I really, I, 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 I love some of the subtle little touches that this film does. You know, what's really weird and huh. not to, not to pivot to a negative thing, but Roger Ebert like hated this movie. Really? It's, it's really, yeah, it's really weird to me, but Roger we don't need can to go after himself. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. He can go himself. Hey, you want to yes, know something was. really funny? Uh, yeah. Uh, so remember how, uh, he said he's looking at the roster and he says, Mr. Pitts, mm-hmm. unfortunate name, rather, rather unfortunate name. <laughs> My mother's maiden name is Pitts. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. True story. That is funny. Um, unfortunate name. I did have another question for you, Reed, and you need to oh. step up your game here. So, um, oh wait, on I need to step up my game to answer your question. Just no, just on on asking me interesting, thoughtful questions. At asking uh, you interesting, I'm thoughtful you, things. I'm giving okay. you a hard time. Um, yes, Reed. What's so up? let's. 
Speaking of freeing our minds and using our imagination. Let's <clears throat> broaden our minds. Lawrence? Uh, <laughs> if, big if, don't know a world where this would, could, or ever has happened, but if you and I, uh, so uh, before I, uh, a preface before the question, which is to say, uh, Neil in the film uh, uh, gets cast as Puck in a production of A Midsummer yes. Night's Dream. In fact, mm-hmm. maybe that's what's in. Uh, a show you and I have both been slings in. Slings and arrows. You jerk. <laughs> you just ruined my question. <laughs> I'll ask it anyway, and we'll just pretend you know, the last 15 seconds of that. Reid, if you and I were in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream together, uh, uh, excuse me, a Midsummer Night's Dream together, Yes. what characters might we be? <laughs> what do you think? You are, you are a textbook Titania. Wow. <laughs> I do have the legs. Um, you know what's really funny about that? And, what? and boy, if Keith listens to this episode. Well, at this point, I do not, he just kind of has to. What? <laughs> I do not remember the role you played, but what's Are even you worse serious? is. serious? I mean, do you yes. know the play at all? Well, I mean, did you, I, I'm sorry. That was a rather strong response did you, to that fact. You played but, Puck, right? Did you? No, that you was Ryan. Crazy. Ryan played Puck. Yeah, I've I got a bad Look, memory, but you are no, this you are making no, up for some lost time right now. <laughs> it is it is even worse that I do not remember the role that I <laughs> Well, you were I one of the remember, mechanicals. Do they have names? I, I maybe they don't. Maybe that's Pyramus, part of why it was Disney? a problem. I do rem- I do remember like I was a supporting player for Jeremy Kerr's bottom. Not not his bottom, that's the character's <laughs> name. <laughs> bottom. I like the butt um, aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but um so but no i do not remember my character's name uh but no but you are apologies, one but it's one of the they're, they're called the mechanicals right um, yes exactly yeah it's, it's just one of that trip you and this is not a, this is not a slight so i've been in the show mm. twice so i've got some familiarity mm. with it mm. are you just you just you just don't know the show <laughs> but i, I do not, really I do is not only that show very well i mean actually this is not me patting myself on the back except to say i am a large hairy beast like human uh, uh, under the <laughs> correct or incorrect circumstances and so it is only fitting that uh, i am generally speaking oberon when oberon midsummer okay. stream is in play okay. so yes right. i actually played oberon in high school uh hmm. actually with dear friend marianne welshens whom you've met uh she oh. was titania and then in college you and i yes i'm i'm in case you had forgotten yeah. the whole production read um yes that is not okay so Ryan's this is name, bad. He was puck uh, he was he was puck yeah he was he was the puck to my oberon my little emissary okay uh okay. which is typically reserved for you that role um <laughs> <laughs> but that's just in life yes in yes life, i was oberon and keith when he showed it's all coming for so, full circle last week we talked about wow. he-man when keith showed <laughs> me the costume design for oh what would be Oberon. i do remember I like, the costume oh snap i need to lose some weight <laughs> <laughs> so one of the first times in my life i ever kind of exercised on a dedicated fashion was to not wow look like an actual giant rotund hairy beast on stage <laughs> but to be able to at least mildly pass for a king of the woods uh he-man wow. style but yeah, I had like gold pomade in my hair. I'll find a picture and post it uh, and have yeah. this like oh, really, should. really painful antler crown thing on my head. What? Well, here's what's here's what here's what's somewhat ironic about me forgetting the name is I actually had the moment that you said that I had 
because I mean, it's it's pretty indelible the visual of you in that outfit. Um, and Thank so, you. like, I, I did conjure no, 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 and I did conjure the image in my mind. I just could not conjure the character's name. Yes. Um. So Overrun. yes, yep. yes, but uh, I, but again, I couldn't even conjure my own. Um. But so yeah, yeah, that was well. That was that was fun. Good times. Yes. Memory lane. <laughs> um. So God, yeah, there's so, there's so many things to sort of go into, and yes, I do need to step up my game on like asking you thoughtful and provocative questions. Um, it doesn't have to be provocative, but that that could be interesting, maybe. Oh, yes, maybe. Um, no, I mean, I do have the, the the problem I have is not with having you know questions; it's formulating them in a concise manner because so many of my questions sort of circle around each other. Um, like, there are some. There are some difficult things about... Okay. Peek behind the curtain. Um, the night I watched this film, I referenced this in our What Saves Us precap, this film. And I know you have not seen it, so I'll be a little careful. But the night I finished this film, I was so sort of like, okay, just in the spirit of things and uh, loving Robin Williams and and everything, I went on to rewatch. Uh, a film of his that I love, although it is not as accessible or pleasant of uh, a, a film as Dead Poet Society, um, but his film World's Greatest Dad, which was one of his uh, later performances. Check out the similarities here. Um, in World's Greatest Dad, Robin Williams plays a high school poetry teacher in World's Greatest Dad. Uh, World's Greatest Dad also prominently features a suicide um, and world's greatest dad is also a lot about his character desperately wanting to make a difference and desperately wanting to, uh, you know, is he find, the titular dad? He is the titular dad. Yes. And, um, it is all about him trying to find meaning, value, and importance in, uh, the world that he's in, but approaches the story from, you know, like, okay, picture, and this is what was really weird about the experience, and I'm building up to something that might lead some some fruitful discussion, but this is what was really weird about the experience, is I watched Dead Poet Society, and Dead Poet Society just, you know, sometimes somewhat manipulatively just pours, inform- just pours inspiration into you, just absolutely just like, uh, you know, it's like a big download, and then World's Greatest Dad, you see him perpetually struggle to find anybody who's interested in the thoughts that he has to think and the things he has to say. And, uh, it's Robin Williams. So it's, it's the same person. It was like watching what might've happened to Keating after Mm. all of this stuff in dead poet society and what might he have gone on to, uh, to be and do. And I should say, if anybody is interested in seeing world's greatest dad, it is a film. I love full stop. The content in it is gutsy, like very risky. You will hear statements being made that you will be shocked, made it into an even an R-rated film. It is a very profane film in many ways and just as likely to intensely offend you and then the very next moment make you cry. It is a very affecting, uh, I I dare say, kind of special film. Kind of like our, yeah, kind of like our podcast. Um, (laughs) But... In watching that, it did make me. This is a big question. My problem in not asking you questions is my um, questions you know are always so teasing, big. Right? No, I know, but okay. they're always just so big. I was wrestling with like, 
what does extraordinary look like? Like, make your life extraordinary. Like, what does extraordinary look like? And the film kind of, you know, extraordinary to Neil is getting to act, which he'd always wanted to do. Extraordinary to, uh, God, I've forgotten Josh Charles's character's name, Knox. Uh, like, extraordinary Knox to Overstreet Knox. Overstreet is, is the Knox. whitest white boy name ever put on the script. <laughs> it really is. It like, really is. Dang, y'all. I'm you trying know, to ignore like, the the lily white nature of this cast. And then you're like, oh, Knox Overstreet. Like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is true. It is true. Um, but, uh, you know, Knox Overstreet is, uh, you know, extraordinary to him is, you know, expressing his affection for Chris, the girl that he just absolutely enamored with. Um, make your lives extraordinary for Nuwanda is like, you know, bucking against the convention and challenging the system and being, uh, you know, nonconformist in a very bold and by even Keating standards, somewhat sometimes foolish way. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what I wrestle with sometimes like the extraordinary life. And I'll tell you why, maybe to narrow the question down a little bit. I also recently look, we're talking, we're having a conversation about dead poet society. And then I keep referencing other films. I love world's greatest dad. Everybody see world's greatest dad, but put on your, defenses against offensive content because it is very language wise. I don't, I don't know that there's anything like visually, but language wise, very, very offensive. Um, the other film I'm about to reference that I just recently saw is of course pig and pig, um, without spoiling plot points about it is very like drilled into the extraordinariness of intimate relationships. Sometimes that you have with even, you know, a pet or an animal friend or, people in your life who you loved and are not around anymore, whatever it is. And, and so that's what I'm aiming at right now is just like the extraordinariness. What I loved watching dead poet society this time is we can often think of extraordinariness as like big, bold success or like big intense, like, Oh, we have to achieve greatness. And I think this film, this viewing has made me think more about like, what does extraordinary look like to me? And extraordinary to me looks like I want to enjoy my day to day with my family. I want to, you know, I, I, I would like to be able to do some creative things periodically. I've even thought about like, I don't know that I want creative output to be my job because I don't want to think of it as a job if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, it's this notion of like really, really drilling down and digging in on like what makes life extraordinary. And for me, it's very much, you know, not just the podcast, but getting to share real conversations, getting to have friends that I trust. What a rare thing that can feel like sometimes in these days. Like I, tr- I trust my friends, you know, um, and uh, and so that's that's what I'm aiming for. Is like what what does it mean to make your life extraordinary? And and to no, I think that's a I think that's a a worthy question uh, for which, as you've just outlined, there is no simple answer for. But it's funny I, that when he says that to them, it, it it did register for me. And I think I do think there's this wrong-headed misappropriation of extraordinary equating to successful 
wealthy, yeah, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, jet setting, which is maybe a modern idea or colloquialism, but because I think he he kind of answers the question in a later scene that I've already quoted here, but he says, poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Mm. And and it is interesting to me because because the movie intentionally sets Keating and his worldview or methodology at odds with the school's methodologies and worldview. And when you say, okay, so so the movie is is doing is is establishing what you have just said, and 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 I'm sort of pouring more concrete onto which is to say the school preps them for success for yeah future for gain for wealth uh, uh the father neil's father who are clearly well-to-do people but even by the measures of those whom they engage with at the school aren't the top of the heat right so yeah. so th- there's this rat race idea so there is something powerful like if someone if someone were to say to me right now if 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 a brother Al thirty years ago not quite that long twenty five years ago uh, a Keith Cassidy uh, uh, you know twenty years ago can you are you reckoning with that read it's twenty years no um, <sighs> I don't uh, talk in, a, about it. in an academic <laughs> setting in an inspirational academic setting were to say make your life extraordinary like how you receive that at different eras of your life is going to have different implications, but how I receive it right now isn't dress it up. Yeah. Mm. It is be still. It Mm. is Mm. stare at what's come before. Think about what could be and figure out how to disrupt in it. Mm. Right. Like Mm. that's, that's Mm -hmm. the scene when he says, make your lives extraordinary is the, uh, uh, is that, looking at the photos scene, mm. right? I'm pretty mm. sure that's where mm-hmm. that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sees the day yeah. sort of litany there. And he whispers in this, just to prop up yeah. and, and set the stage, like he whispers behind them, and at first it's almost like a silly moment, but he whispers behind them, he's like, Carpe! And then it's Keating's voice, it's Robin Williams's voice whispering over these black and white images, make your lives extraordinary. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's, and yeah. Correct me if, if or don't, uh, that's the wrong uh, language there. Uh, illuminate for me if you took a different interpretation from this. But to me, the power of that scene is him pointing to this history and saying, they're just like you. This is, yes. you are not, mm-hmm. they are no more special, nor are you any more special than they are. You are no more less Correct. than, they were no more less than than you are. Now, decoupled from the need to gain, mm-hmm. figure out mm-hmm. extraordinariness for you. And yes. as, as sort of the, the, op, the other side of the equal sign of that equation being that poetry, beauty, romance, love, you referenced, uh, 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 Whitey McWhiterson knocks over street. Uh, like, <laughs> like <laughs> Whitey he goes, he, you can tell this is a kid who has never acted on his, his romantic affection. And right. so mm-hmm. that's, right. that's mm-hmm. what he pours himself into. You can tell Neil, oh my gosh, this passion for, uh, the, the verbal expressed word and, 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 you know, kind of, uh, character expression. He's never expressed that before. You've got, uh, Todd who has never voiced his own mind at all, you know, right. kind of pressing into right. those things. And I, I think 
the important takeaway here, it's about disrupting our own status quo as much as it's about disrupting a systemic one. Um, yeah. I mean, mm. I'm going to give an extreme, this, this might be a poor example because it is an extremely heightened example, but it jumped out to me. Um, I, I referenced a couple weeks ago reading the book, uh, um, how the word is passed and read my yeah. God, there's this chapter. I don't, I actually looked a minute ago. The book's not handy right now else. I would read a little excerpt from it though. I will reference it. Um, uh, uh, a Louisiana establishment called the Whitney plantation, which I was unfamiliar mm. with, but of course was formerly a, an actual plantation. And now, uh, about in the last decade, I believe there was a gentleman who was a, a kind of, business owner, multimillionaire, white man in his fifties or sixties who started reading literature about the honest picture of slavery in America. Mm. Mm. And he, in his success as a businessman was also kind of in real estate. So would buy up a lot of real, real estate. And one, one takeaway from this story read, and this is the excerpt I wish I had handy, but he said, and I read this aloud to my wife and, and we were both kind of jaw dropped at it. He said, I kept reading these stories and waiting for the one that did not end in the rape of a woman, the murder <laughs> of the man, the dismemberment of the child. And these, they don't exist to, oh, to no. paint over this with a, a, but there were pleasant slave owners as well is a false statement. So, that's just an interesting wow. anecdote between friends from this story. But he was sure. so moved and challenged. And uh, I feel bad even telling the story because it's such a heightened extreme version. But it is about extraordinariness, making it extraordinary and disrupting status quo. Read, he went and bought the Whitney plantation. Mm. Invested $10 million and more to outfit it as, uh, uh, and now it's it's primarily staffed by African Americans. Uh, uh, but he, his him looking in the photo of this mm. past and decoupling its uh, uh, false extraordinariness allowed him to live right. into this amazing moment where now hear me, this is, and again, I've said it at least twice now. I feel a little bad for using that anecdote, but the takeaway isn't you should be in a position to uh, uh, accumulate great wealth so that you can then acquire <laughs> right, a massive right, right, bit right. of real estate that's going to uh, stare in the face of American racial history. But it is to say you do have resources right now. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You do have the life you have right now. And when I hear mm -hmm. a John Keating in the context of this film say, make your lives extraordinary, what I don't hear is go accumulate. What I yes. do hear mm. is mm. in love – in truth, in beauty, disrupt status quos, even if that disruption is in your own heart and, and life. Right? Yeah, right. Yes. No, I, I totally resonate with that. When you were talking about how the word is passed, I think about, uh, of course, you know, somebody that gets a lot of love on this podcast, Brian Stevenson, mm -hmm. and the work that he's done, which started out not glamorous, not, you know, notable laudits, anything like that. It's, it started out actually quite thankless and quite grueling trying to, you know, uh, advocate and represent 
and fight for the lives of these people that everybody else had written off. Like what, what thankless work that had started. And then now has blossomed and grown into where he's such a respected voice to be able to, but you, I get the impression you've certainly heard him more than I've heard him. Um, but, uh, I get the impression that that was not the end game was not, you know, a, a, a broad sort of sweeping movement. It seems like it just started with him wanting to do good work wherever he could do it and then grows and becomes yeah. this I mean, broader the long broader obedience. Thing. Yes. Well, yes. And, and I think, well, one thing that I will say, so like, um, I think it's, I think what you're saying about like disrupting the, the line from dead poet society where he quotes, I believe Emerson He's either quoting Emerson or Whitman where he says, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And, you know, he says, don't be like that. The powerful play, he says elsewhere, the powerful play goes on and you may contribute mm-hmm. a verse. Yes. You may contribute a verse. And we talk about that a lot on this show of this idea of like, you, you, you have a voice, you have a position, you are, you know, in spiritual language, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are here on purpose. And I think a lot of times that prospect gets stolen as a means to say, well, you have to, you know, that, that it's in some version of competition that you have to, you know, uh, plant this big church or you have to write this best-selling book or you have to do... One of the things I love about World's Greatest Dad and for people who have not seen it, one of the things I love about it is he is a failed writer. He's not only a poetry teacher, but he's also a failed writer. He has written like five novels and he has submitted them all and nobody cares. Nobody wants to publish him. Uh, nobody cares to read his stuff. And sure enough, there's a new teacher, like a, an attractive young man who comes in to the thing, just sort of wrote a short story as a lark one day, as he describes it, and it gets published in The New Yorker, like his very first short story. And so Keating is sitting at the staff lounge watching this younger man, like as they're passing around the copy of the New Yorker that his first story got published in. And here he is, you know, sitting on five novels that nobody cares about and getting back to this idea of like extraordinary. There's a line in the film. I risk spoiling quite a bit by sharing it, but I'm still going to share it because it's so relevant. There's a line in the film where, uh, in world's greatest dad, Robin Williams character says, I used to think that the worst thing that could happen to me was ending up all alone. But now I know the worst thing that could happen is ending up surrounded by people who make you feel all alone. Hmm. And that's one of the sort of staple thematic touch points of the film. And broadening that out to like just make your lives extraordinary, I think resigning ourselves to the quiet desperation, I love the way you put it as like disrupt the status quo does not mean chaos and anarchy to Mm -mm. every system in power. Sometimes it means just disrupt your own status quo like no 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 don't lead the life of the quiet desperation you know find the opportunity to really make the moment special it's another thing these two films just keep resonating it's another thing in pig where nicholas cage's character and this is in the trailer so it's not a huge spoiler he even says at one point we get so well he does lose (laughs) his pig but he uh at, at one point he says and the context of the film is more powerful than the moment in the trailer but the line is still resonant he says we get so few things to truly care about we get so few things to really care about. And that is that is something that is becoming in these times where everything is heightened, everything is contentious, everything is potentially problematic to one person or another. Uh, like 
being able to confront the quiet desperation in your own heart to be able to say like, no, I'm going to make my life extraordinary. Basically to say, I'm going to make it meaningful. I'm going to, we've said it on this show before, not, uh, you know, find meaning, but to make meaning to actually like endow meaning. I'm going to tell you a story that I actually thought about sharing or, or meant to share with you off pod just as, as, as dear friends speak, uh, talk to each other, but is feeling resonant in this moment. And, you know, it, it seems really odd for, um, me, I'm sorry. It feels really odd to have dead poet society and insight in me, a conversation about, uh, uh, race in America, but this is my <laughs> attempt to stand on my desk. And, um, I recently met in the home with some folks who, for my work and, you know, it's funny. I'm going to tell a, a small anecdote that feeds into this. Uh, about six months ago, not quite six months, it was in 2021, um, I met with an older African-American couple. And and my reading and absorption of a lot of this material uh, makes me want to have these conversations sometimes, but in ways mm-hmm. But I'm like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not here to be that person. But I saw in these <laughs> particular people's homes, like Ta-Nehisi Coates, we were eight years in power. And I would, I had read that oh. recently. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, I really want to just like talk to you guys about this, but it's going to feel really weird for the big, sure. hairy white the window salesman. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to strike <laughs> right, up that right. conversation. It uh, just wasn't the moment, but the impulse is there. Well, I recently met with these folks who it was a interracial couple, uh, uh, African-American husband, uh, white wife who were probably late sixties retired. Mm. Both were retired, uh, law enforcement from here in Charlotte. And through the course of the conversation, he starts talking about his work as a historical reenactor. And I was like, wait, mm. you know, tell me more about that. Oh. And this is mm. just mm. the nature of my work is you tell me a thing and I follow it. You know, like, Oh, that's, I'm, I, I am genuinely curious, but it also keeps right, the conversation going. And, and I learn like what he does as post retirement is he, he goes to kind of historical, uh, organizations, be they nonprofits, be they institutes and kind of does these like, they're not readings. They're sometimes it's character pieces where mm-hmm. he's interacting sure. with, you know, kind of, uh, tourists, you know, walking through tours and things like that. So anyway, right, I was really right. kind of intrigued by this, was really following it. And this is when I had the opportunity because the moment permitted it to kind of engage as, as I just jokingly alluded to the, the big hairy white guy trying to be a better <laughs> human on some of the things I've been learning. And I was talking about how the word has passed. Well, he really, he, he pricked my heart a little bit because he was one, he was telling me about going to these massive trees in Georgia with his grandfather as a young Mm. man and looking up at these trees and the giant knots that were in these trees and the grandfather telling him that's where the ropes were, where the bark has now Mm. grown grown over it. Uh, And so I was telling him about just personal evolution and and progression as I've educated myself and mentioned Tulsa 21 and, and, you know, uh, we we're coming up on a year since this made a, a road trip last year, which in which I attempted to visit black wall street in Tulsa. Um, and the center there was closed and Reed, he said something when you say, make your life extraordinary. What does that mean? What he said to me was, well, you don't have to go there to find mm. problems to find. Wow. You, 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 you look around where you live right now. And, wow. and just that moment really like, 
struck a chord with me of right right and 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 i even came away inspired it was it was a keating-esque moment of of inspiration of like man that there's such truth to this and and this is a long-winded way of simply reiterating a similar theme which is in the effort to quote unquote make our lives extraordinary we have resources now Mm, mm. resources doesn't mean a lot of money resources just means people you encounter uh right uh, right your relationship to yourself uh Mm. um you know uh, your your relationship to those around you the the you know you and i uh, as far as a resource goes have this sort of platform that we've Mm. developed mm-hmm. over the course of believe it or not five years happy fifth anniversary to you friend um, yes <laughs> you as well you know so so what also has to happen and it has to happen and and i got caught in a moment by this stranger who read my mail because i i'm not doing this work enough is that stillness is mm. that staring mm. and saying okay they they are them i am me I, I don't know. There, there was something really powerful to me about and what I, how I wrote it down thematically was just momentum versus stillness, you mm. know, and the necessity for quiet to, if I had been sober minded enough and quiet enough to be able to be like, I don't, it's, it's quote unquote cool to go visit black wall street, but there's plenty of right. markers of racial trauma right here. That, mm-hmm. that merit attention, that merit education, that merit speaking about. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah. I know that's a maybe a random rabbit trail, but I'm speaking to this idea of what does it mean in our little place to to make our lives extraordinary, and it's rarely yeah. going to be what the institutions tell us it is. Right. Right. No. Absolutely. Well, and a lot of what has happened and. And I hear this discussed in sort of sociological implications, and uh, people talk about economic implications to this, is in this present moment with the global pandemic, for a lot of people, they I'm hearing this story over and over again from people whose names I don't know, because I'm just hearing the sort of the news reports on statistics, where during the pandemic... Uh, when they were forced into their homes, there were certainly a lot of people who struggled with loneliness, who struggled with depression. That's a very real thing. Um, and I don't, in what I'm about to say, mean to be dismissive of that. Um, but there were some people who do have families, and and there were some people who do have friends. And And then when they were driven home and when they were driven out of the rat race, they suddenly began to realize, oh, wait a second, I I like being with my family. I like being, you know, not necessarily married mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. that, that drudgery. And, and I like not being married to the machine. I like being present where I'm actually at. And, you know, there's so many things that we phrases, we repeat on the show that th- will not be, you know, unknown to longtime listeners, but things like listen to your life and God comes to you disguised as your life. And, and these, these opportunities where we have, you know, the, I don't take it lightly when Jesus talks about sparrows and lilies mm-hmm. and these simple little things and saying like, hey, like, look, like this, all of this down these here. These are what we the, stay alive for. Yes. This, the, the, the small things that you've been ignoring 
that's the that's the substance. That's the good stuff. To quote another, I <laughs> know you just walked right into it. I walked right into it. You but, did. You know, to you quote, club a baby to, seal. Yeah. To to quote the other, um, you know, Robin Williams performance in Goodwill Hunting, where he talks jokingly about, you know, reminiscing with his wife uh, about when well, she would just like. Well, was he reminiscing? No, he was just telling the story to Will. Oh, this is true. the thing I remember about her. Is she would yes fart in her sleep. Yeah, she would she would fart in her sleep, and <laughs> and then he would talk. It's, it's funny because he just talk, and then he said like, "No, that's the good stuff." You know, yeah. like that's what he said. Is he said like, "That's the stuff that like you we get to decide who we let into our little worlds," and I think I'm at a place right now where those are the I'm you know I'm 40 now, and getting to this point in my life, I think that's the extraordinary I'm looking for. Like the extraordinary I'm looking for is call it authenticity, call it intimacy, whatever, whatever you want to deem it. It's like just genuine connection, particularly in the heightened world where so many, you can blame social media if you want to, you can blame, you know, social structures or whatever, but just a, a genuineness of, uh, and, and, and a truthfulness of presence and being that, uh, matters significantly more to me than necessarily any outgrowth of you know objective achievement are you telling me you would like me to get you a pig for your birthday this year i have thought about it (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) but um no it's like that is you know that 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 understanding of just like these are the these are the these are the things in my life that matter the most to me these are the things that um that make the, the, that in, I enjoy the most. I mean, there's nothing like my wife's laugh. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like my son's laugh, you know? And, and I think those kinds of things are very quickly becoming the extraordinary that I crave and want and seek to protect. And, and it's, it's those things. It's, it's not necessarily the success machine. Well, I say necessarily, it's not the success machine. It's, it's not the notoriety machine. Um, it is the, you know, I'll, I'll say this, and then I'm, my, my thoughts might be winding down on this moment. We watched an interesting documentary. My wife and I recently have been just kind of into watching documentaries about the 80s and 90s. There are a plethora of them out there from various different subjects, some of them nostalgic and fun, some of them a little bit more like, ooh, the dark side of the 90s or whatever. And we watched this uh, one-hour installment of a, um, of a series on the 90s that focused all about the Viper Room. Do you remember what the Viper Room was? Um, that sounds like nope. a G.I. Joe Cobra reference. <laughs> Um, Viper was a, a Cobra character. So I used to work at, uh, on Sunset Boulevard at the Virgin Megastore when they were still in the U S and, and, um, uh, on Sunset Boulevard, there was this club called the Viper room. And did you say you used to work Sunset Boulevard near the Virgin Megastore? Like, (laughs) I didn't mean to say that if I did, that's hysterical. Uh, The way you constructed that sentence, I was like, man, I totally got a picture of Reed just working the street near the Virgin (laughs) Megastore. (laughs) I remember when I first, uh, got my first paycheck from the Virgin Megastore and went to deposit it at the bank. And I remember the teller looking at it and said, Hmm. Virgin Entertainment Group. And then she looked up at me and just didn't miss a beat. She said, what do you do? Wow. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Um, so, but no, the uh, the Viper Room was a place. Uh, it was owned by Johnny Depp. And Johnny Depp was uh, literally the guy like in the back room watching from a camera, watching from a security camera and telling bouncers, let this person in, don't let this person in. And what the Viper Room briefly became 
uh, for a period of time was it became the place celebrities could come to feel normal because they were not the only super famous person in the room. So it was like this super popping club. Oh, right. Who weren't allowed in. No, I was totally aware of that. Yeah, I would go. Uh, (laughs) Oh, would you? Yes. Oh, yeah. Me and (laughs) and Leo. Um, So, but, uh, but so basically, no, 90s. Um, uh, It, uh, it unfortunately uh, became more famous for being the place where River Phoenix died because oh. he died one night, like yeah. uh, from an overdose, like while he was there. Um, so that unfortunately casts a pallor over the whole experience. But the point I'm getting to is, even those who have achieved the pinnacle, and watching this documentary, it became really clear to me that even those who had achieved what others would deem the pinnacle of success, uh, who have achieved like they're on the mountaintop, we're talking. You know, these are all the A-listers wanting to come and hang out together. They craved a place where they could just right. not be that pinnacle anymore. They could just hang out with friends who they could feel safe and could feel understood. And it's like that's the thing that I think embedded in so many of us. Um, I believe it was Clarence Darrow, the noted lawyer and atheist agnostic. I don't remember exactly what how he deemed himself, but – there is a quote from him that has stayed with me where he said, I wish somebody had told me that when you reach the top, there's nothing there. Hmm. And of course, there's a lot baked into his particular perspective on that sentiment. But I think there's a, a severely profound thing about this in this understanding of like in Dead Poet Society, like make your lives extraordinary. I do, I do, you know, mourn for Neil. We haven't talked a lot about Neil's suicide and. Um, the, the thing that his domineering father insists, like, you are going to be a doctor, like, period. His, his father is seeking the success train for himself, largely baked, I think the script makes pretty clear, largely baked in his own, like, need to vicariously live through his son, or at least experience some degree of vicarious, like, success. I've made sacrifices so that you could be here. And um, it is devastating that, that Neil cannot see a future past that that restriction and so chooses to take his own life. Um, Robin Williams, because of the disease that was racking his body and, and uh, distorting his perception of himself and his, his feeling of at homeness in his own body. He suffered from Louis body dementia and many, many people who suffer from Louis body dementia eventually take their own life as Robin Williams did. And so there are so many things like baked up in that, uh, that sadness and that sorrow. Um, and I feel like for whatever amount of time we are graced with sharing our time here, I want so badly for people to, and for myself, maybe this is just an extension of my own longing, um, to feel that like, okay, yeah, no, that, that, that authentic connection, like, the play goes on and I've contributed a verse and maybe that verse only went to one or two people. You know, this is something else related to world's greatest dad. Um, but just like find the people in your world who make you feel seen and heard and known and loved. And that's extraordinary. That is the process of making your life extraordinary. And I think, yeah, if I can toss in there, I feel like it's important to note that, uh, especially for a real life person like Robin Williams, um, meaning versus like a character like Neil, despite the tragic resolution of his life, he still lived an extraordinary life. That, Absolutely. Absolutely. That I imagine in his 
most sober-minded moments would be able to say poetry, beauty, romance, love. These are what we stay alive for. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so my main point there is simply to say, you know, that downbeat note of, of how he passed cannot be ignored, but does not negate the extraordinariness he was as an individual. And, and, you know, should in this weird way give some mild comfort to like, you know, extraordinariness is not outcome based. You just, mm. you just choose to mm. be it. Right. You know, it's like, it's not about. Yes a particular result it's about right it's about a frequency on which to harmonize uh Mm. your life Mm. i think maybe no i i resonate profoundly with that and you know what i might throw on the end of this episode um the there was a brief brief clip it's literally like 30 seconds so uh, listeners listen to the end of this, uh, an interview that Robin Williams did towards the end of his life where he also had uh, struggled with substance abuse and, and so many other things as so many famous people have uh, in their lives. And he says, you know, I, I don't recall the whole thing, but he said, basically come down to the thing that matters is others, you know, and, uh, and, and reaching that place to where as you're assessing the things in your life, ordinary or extraordinary, the things that rise to the top is, the, the relationship, the meaningful connection, he even throws in there, he says, in a loving God, you know, that those are the things that matter ultimately. And, and, um, it's, uh, it's very, he says, I, I actually, let me see. I, I want to find that quote. I think he says, yeah, I, I see it right here. He says, you realize there are a lot of amazing people out there to be grateful for and a loving God. That's what life is about. And I think that's a beautiful and profound expression to say like that, that that's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary, and uh, a film like Dead Poet Society, you know, just the the power of standing on your desk, releasing your yawp, seizing your day, seizing your day, and saying like, okay, I'm 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 going to not necessarily if I can't climb a mountain tomorrow, I can at least look around me and pay better attention to um, to what there is in front of me, and and maybe even just coming as as something similar to what you express, like coming into an awareness of how extraordinary it all is. Um, and, uh, and living in that. And, um, yeah, I love, I love this movie. Uh, I love this movie. shall we, in, shall we, shall we go to the fog meter? Um, indeed on what saves us, we are doing, uh, uh, the fun and God <laughs> meter. Oh, the fun. Uh, of we'll God. get back. It'll, it'll calibrate a little better once we, exit what saved us it's what we got for now though uh, and mostly it works the this one will challenge the the uh, curve a bit um sure uh dead poet society is a beautiful movie um <clears throat> parts <throat> of it are fun to watch these actors engage with each other but as a sure. piece of art it is less fun than more encouraging inspiring challenging that sort of thing so as far as uh, traditional definitions of the word go i will give a five to the okay. society on the fun meter yeah. listen there was a time where i used to cite this film as my very favorite film um and uh and i i agree with your assessment like in terms of how we're just sort of generally characterizing fun uh robin williams is always well i love the man so like i'm always going to be interested in watching him even if it's in a relatively 
poor movie. So when it's in a really strong movie like Dead Poet Society, I love it all the more. But I'm going to give it a six for the uh, fun measurement. On the God measurement, it's it's substance. You know what's interesting is I feel like in the way that we often land on being interested in what a movie is interested in, not necessarily the interior moments. I think there's some brilliant, absolutely brilliant observations in this movie. I don't know that everything lands exactly the way that it was intended to land. And I don't know that it, you know, uh, cohesively makes this iron shut case uh, of, you know, for the extraordinariness of everything. But uh, there's just so many little interior moments that move me so profoundly Keating pulling the poetry out of Todd, uh, the photographs with the Make Your Lives Extraordinary whispers underneath it. Like, There's just so many things that work on, oh, Captain, my Captain, they work on such profound levels. Um, and so because of that, I'm going to give it a, a, an eight on the God meter. Eight. Mm-hmm. Eight. I'm, I'm echoing you. Oh, that's you as well. Yep. Okay. All right. So that means that we give Dead Poet Society a seven out of ten. Hey, we didn't do that for Luca, but you know, like still we're, we're, we're hitting the metronome for like, yes, seven out of 10. Um, that's a seven out of 10 on the fog meter, the fun. Oh God meter. Um, but, uh, I'll lead and then ask you the question. I would absolutely recommend dead poet society. Um, it, it, it's a very white, very male film. But in terms of its uh, what it's after and what it expresses, um, I think it's it's really inspiring and and really in many ways very lovely. It's heavy, but it's uh, it's very very lovely in its way. And so I I definitely highly recommend it. What about for you? Do you recommend it? Uh, yeah, I mean absolutely. It's 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 unquestionable. Unquestion. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is how you know it's super late on my part of the world. Unquestionably. A worthy <laughs> viewing as far as films go, yeah. And and this is just my brain these days. It there were moments I was like, man, this is like, to your point, it's like uh, there are, there's a, a whole lot of white dudes in this movie. Like that's all it is. Um, <laughs> but it, and and that's less a criticism than it is just a observation and kind of got to take that for what it is because the spirit of the movie is very lovely and beautiful and, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. has, has a, a ring of truth, uh, beyond even its sort of circumstantial elements. So, yeah, I mean, of course no. it's recommendable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Abby, thank you so much yes. uh, for giving us two really great choices. I mean, I think remember the Titans, if anybody hasn't seen that, like take Abby's recommendation on that one too. That's a great film and definitely see dead poet society. And next week, there's a little bit of a question mark on the schedule, but we're not going to do Jacob saying dirty anymore. And we're going to actually like tell him what, you know, he can prepare for next week. Um, so if all goes according to plan, then next week we're going to be going to a film that I love and I cannot believe when we started this podcast. I never imagined we would get the chance to talk about this movie. Um, but directed by John Avildsen, if I'm saying his name correctly, maybe I'm not. I'll have to call Keith up and see if I'm saying his name correctly. Um, but it is the original Italian stallion. We are going to none other than Rocky, the very first Rocky film starring and written by Sylvester Stallone. We are going to step into the ring with old Apollo Creed. And I'm, I'm extremely excited not to forget though. We are also covering the first two episodes of the Apple plus original series season one 
of Ted Lasso. So it's just going to be so much inspiration next week. I don't know what to do with all of it. So it's going to be the first two episodes of Ted Lasso and the, the original film Rocky. Acquaint yourself with those because if all goes according to schedule, that will be what we cover next week. Um, Nathan, thank you so much for uh, having this conversation with me. It's been a really heartwarming and heart soaring kind of uh, experience to think about this and uh, listeners thank you as well as we say on every episode the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and seize the day to be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week everybody see you guys The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Is there a sadness about these past two years then? Um, yeah, there's a sadness, and then you have to go, and then there's also, um, there's also hope. I mean, a sadness, it's always like, yeah, you wish they hadn't happened, but they did. And the purpose is to make you different. It's what they call a Buddhist gift. I would call it the ultimate Christian gift. It's that idea of you're back and you realize the thing that matters are others, way beyond yourself. Self goes away. Ego, bye-bye. Realize there are a lot, a lot of amazing people out there to be grateful for and a loving God. And that, other than that, good luck. That's what life is about.